special day. Special, Sunday's always a special day, isn't it? It's always a, a gift to be together. Uh, but for a couple of us, it is a particularly special day. I think there are a couple of birthdays in the room. Has anyone got a birthday? Uh, they're willing to confess having a birthday. Miles has a birthday. Amazing. And Tony's a birthday too. Can we just give those guys a... We don't always do this, but it's good to be family together. Let's just uh, make sure we administer birthday bumps in the car park at the end. And then we won't ask them their age. I won't ask you your age, Miles, because I know your age. Uh, you're 33. 33. The, the year of life in which Jesus died and was raised for our sins and raised for our justification. Miles, we're expecting a big year from you. <laughs> We're expecting good things. Church, there is, a, there is something that you've been doing this day, this week, this month, this year, for all of your life without really even any consideration. It's something that's precious to you, and yet you, you don't think about it. It just happens. Do you know what that thing is? Is that farting? No, not farting. It's, it's, it's breathing. It's breathing. That was funnier in my head uh, than it was when I said it. It's breathing. This is the something we do at all times. It is a autonomous. It just goes on. It's something that we uh, can't help but do. Our breath, as we expel breath, it draws breath back into our lungs, and it's a source of life for us. Breathing is incredibly important, as my extensive... <laughs> Uh, Google research suggested to me, even this morning, and we don't even need uh, somebody to tell us why it's important, we intuitively understand, but breathing is so important. When we're not doing it correctly, not just when we're not doing it, but even when we're not doing it correctly, it has a massive impact on our physiology, on our sense of how we are and how we're doing. If we're not breathing properly, our nervous system gets overly excited, making us feel anxious and stressed. And so the more stressed we feel, the quicker we breathe. And we know that feeling, don't we? Those of us who've experienced panic attacks, how that becomes a, uh, a cycle we struggle to break. We have increased muscle tension. You know that one too. Our tightening our blood vessels makes our hearts work harder, increases blood pressure, tires us out faster, the, if we're not breathing correctly, we actually feel more tired. Our brain receives less oxygen because our breathing is less deep. And so it's more difficult to use our brain and think properly. It has myriad impacts in our health, in our sense of well-being. It's not good not to breathe Incorrectly, you know, we didn't even think about this, did we? We really didn't think about breathing very much until we had a pandemic, and one of the key signs in that pandemic was shortness or, for some, loss of breath. We took breathing for granted. And breathing is a powerful image of renewal. So much so that when we begin to breathe correctly, we feel that renewal in our bodies. It's interesting this morning how many songs we've sung and prayers have been prayed around breathing. I hadn't let anybody know this was the topic of the message, but there's this uh, synergy in the room around breathing. Breathing brings renewal. We're going to do a little experiment. Measure your state of well-being now. Give it a number. You don't have to tell me. 
between one and ten. And now shut your eyes. Place one hand over your chest, the other on your stomach. And just to help your upper body relax, I just want you to sigh like you've just had a long day. You don't have to let all the air out, but just close your mouth and pause. Count to three. While keeping your mouth closed, slowly inhale through your nose. Focus on your inhalation. Your stomach should expand while your chest remains relatively still. So breathing from deep down. Once again, pause and count to three. So inhale, three. Exhale. Now this time you can open your mouth. Let your stomach go back in. Once again, pause for three. Repeat. Good, isn't it? Good. Now measure your well-being. It's gone up, hasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Slightly manipulative there, but you get the idea. Breath. We've been in a series called Keys to Renewal. As fortune would have it, I have my front door key in my pocket. Never carry a single key. Because when you lose it, you won't be able to get in your house, as Amy and I have found many times. But we've been looking at Keys to Renewal. A series of keys we've been looking at that unlock different pathways to renewal. And today as we look at this story of resurrection, we're looking at a series. It's actually not even a key to renewal today. It's more a process of renewal. But this process of renewal will bring breath into our lungs, air into our lives, and will release life, not just in us, but around us. So what is this process. Well, we see it in Mary's life. Mary, the disciple who had the guts to be at the tomb, who waits, who weeps, and then who meets Jesus and is sent out to witness. This renewal that happens in her life is about to be mirrored in the whole disciples. That's the process that we'll see. So what do we read? From verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. On the evening of the first day, some translations say later that day. In other words, later on the day of resurrection, the disciples are gathered. It's Sunday evening church, folks. If you haven't been to Sunday evening, come along one evening. It's got a different environment. You know, there are echoes. Some scholars say there are echoes of early Christian worship across this whole chapter, John 20, uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 20 in John's Gospel. And uh, some suggest that the memory of this event, of Jesus showing up in this way, as we're about to read, to these disciples, was the reason that in the early church, Christians met in the evening, on a Sunday, and said, Maranatha, Maranatha, which means our Lord come, or come Lord Jesus. Let's say that together. Maranatha. Say it again, it's good. Maranatha. Once more. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. The disciples are in the room, but they're not saying Maranatha yet. In fact, they're doing exactly the opposite. They're not saying or speaking anything of faith at all. They are locked down. 
They're in lockdown. It even says it in the text when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The disciples are in lockdown. And they're in lockdown because of fear. They are terrified, mortified by the possibility of suffering. The possibility of death. They're terrified that what happened to Jesus at the hands of the Jewish leaders, which was facilitated by the Roman state, that that too could be happening to them in short order. And despite talking a good game about following Jesus through thick and thin, we've already seen them abandon him and they are still in this mindset of terror. They're fearful of death. I do hope that's Have we got a power cut? No? Not a fire alarm, I hope. That would be drastic. They're fearful of death. They're locked down. Now, we can have some sympathy for them, can't we? You know, it'd be easy to sort of look at the disciples and point fingers and all of that stuff, and you know, the rest of this message could be me just berating those of us who feel fear. The reality is we've all lived through this, haven't we? In the last couple of years, we've lived through this. We've understood, we understand what it means to be locked down, not just living in our houses for days at a time and not going to the shops or going to the shops once a day. I'm not talking about physical lockdown. I'm talking about that moment where your vista is shrunken, where your hope and your trust is diminished. I'm talking about this sense of being overwhelmed with fear. We know know that every one of us has had an experience of that in the last couple of years. Many of us know what that's like even today. So we can have sympathy for the disciples, but we've also just got to be honest And say that a church that's governed, that's cowering in fear, isn't really any good to anyone. These disciples at this point, they're not living in the fullness of what Jesus has for them. They're not fulfilling the great commission that they'll be given as recorded in Matthew 28. Something has to happen. Some kind of event has to take place to move them from this posture, from this position, into a different position, into a different posture. And it does happen. So what happens? What can we learn from this moment of being turned inward, facing one another, being dominated and overcome by fear, to being sent out with a renewal message? What takes place? What happens amongst these disciples? What can we learn? Well, the first thing we learn is that they're given the gift of Jesus' presence. There's a song that I love. It's a worship song where the simple line, your presence makes the difference. I love that. It's so true, isn't it? It says, Jesus came and stood among them. There they were locked down for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them. It's such a simple line, you could pass over it in your Bibles, but he just turned up. He was what they were missing. It was him. 
It, it wasn't even what they could do for him, what he could do for them. It wasn't any of that stuff yet. It wasn't any of the other stuff. The miracles, yeah, that's all great, but it wasn't that that they really missed in this moment. What they missed was him. Because when he was there, everything made sense. They could face the other stuff if he was there. And the truth is, for those last days, he hadn't been there. And they felt the loss of him. They felt it as grief. They felt it as agony. And this is the key thing. They felt the loss of his presence as fear. The fear was just a sign. It was a manifest sign in their bodies. It was emotion, E, energy in motion. It was energy in motion in their bodies that was telling them that something was amiss. And what was amiss is that he wasn't there. And so when he showed up, that was the beginning of the shift. That was the beginning of the renewal moment. I can't, I, it doesn't say this in the text, but just let me use a bit of license for a minute. What would have happened in their breath? They would have caught, yeah, whoa, what would have happened in their breathing pattern? I'm not sure it would have been deep and long at that point, right? They would have, but all of a sudden, all of a sudden in that moment, something shifts. His presence was what they were missing. The source of every renewal is a manifest outpouring of the presence of Jesus. You know, the presence of Jesus in his church is the jewel in the crown. The presence of Jesus is the purpose and the meaning of the church. Because Jesus is the Lord of the church. Jesus is the hope of the church just as he's the hope of the world. The presence of Jesus is the non-negotiable for church. You change everything else. We change the orientation of the room. You didn't seem to complain. Many of you didn't even notice. We take, took the coffee away. We put it back. We had a 9.30 and 11.30. Then we had a 10.30. Then a 9.30 and an 11.30. And you wondered what we were doing. And we wondered what we were doing. <laughs> but I hope you would complain. And you would really, really complain. If we didn't steward his presence. Because in that moment, we'd cease to be the church. It's about him. And you know, you can change any number of the people who stand on this stage, and it really won't matter. It won't matter. And people will come in, and people will go out. We didn't think it was possible to live without George, did we? And it barely is, let's be honest. But God has sent him out and Katie out to other things and God will bless wherever it is that they tread on, uh, whichever part of Wilford or wherever else they tread on. And here God is among us still and he'll be with them and this is going to be the pattern of things. But the non-negotiable in the church is the presence of Jesus. He's the source of every renewal and the key, the key job in life for a disciple of Jesus is to become the kind of person who might enjoy eternity with Jesus. <laughs> Jane Williams once said that to me, to become the kind of person who might enjoy being in his presence eternally to, and to steward his presence today wherever we are. Because his presence makes the difference. His presence makes the difference for these disciples. But he just doesn't just show up. That would have been great, and maybe that would have done the job. But he does a little bit more than that as well. It says this. He came and stood among them and said, 
He said, peace be upon you. He comes with his presence, but he comes also speaking a word or words. And his words, this is the second pathway, or second step in this pathway of renewal for these disciples. And the pathway is it's about his words. And he comes with a greeting. It's a common greeting. Peace be upon you or peace be with you. Shalom aleichem. Let's say that together because we're in the process of saying things together. Shalom aleichem. Shalom aleichem. Shalom aleichem. It's good, isn't it? It feels good. Shalom, peace, aleichem, peace be with you. You know that uh, in Arabic, salam aleichem, right? It's the same greeting, peace be upon you. Jesus comes with presence, but Jesus also comes with words. And his words bring peace in the place of fear. This blessing that Jesus has, it brings peace to his disciples. You know, a mother can speak to their child in the womb, and the child listens. Jesus has words for his disciples, and the tone of his voice, what was it? Was Maybe this is what helped them recognize him. You know, goodness knows there were loads of times he showed up, and they didn't even know who it was. But he speaks, and he speaks peace into their situation. And the truth is, the disciples had forgotten his words. They'd forgotten all the stuff he said. He warned them time after time that he was going to die and be raised from the dead, and they'd forgotten. They'd forgotten his script, and they'd started to believe other scripts. They'd started to believe lies. Fear is always the evidence that we're believing lies. I'm going to say that again. Fear is always evidence that we're believing lies. We're believing the lie that we're not okay. We're believing the lie that God isn't good. We're believing the, the lie perhaps that God isn't able, that he, he didn't mean it when he said that he'd be with us always, even to the end of the age. And his disciples have begun to believe these lies. The lies which come from the Satan, the accuser, they only have as much authority as you or I give them. Satan's lies have no authority in themselves except that which we give to them. The words of Jesus here speak against those lies, undo those lies. He speaks peace. His words bring peace, peace to ourselves, peace to our past, our regrets, perhaps peace to our fears, peace to our futures, peace to our relationships. He brings his peace. He speaks his peace. Thirdly, he enables them to encounter his body. I love it. He says, after this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his body, his hands and his side. You know, they were afraid of death. Not unreasonably, you might suggest. And so he shows up among them, he speaks peace, and he gives them the chance to touch a body that's been through death. As if to say, I've been through it, and you will go through it too. And because I've been through it, you'll be okay. The greatest fear you and I has is death. 
The resurrected Lord Jesus has been through it. Hear this. He is Lord of it. Lord of it. And so you or I need not fear death because he is the resurrected one. He says, behold, I am the resurrection and the life. (laughs) It's an extraordinary thing. He shows up to them with a body that's overcome the grave. You know, this morning, I don't know how you felt when you came into church this morning. I didn't feel great, I'll be honest with you. I didn't feel great. I was feeling distracted. Yeah, we'd had a few arguments this morning in the house. Maybe they spilled over to the car on the way here. I wasn't in the zone. That's not where I was. And as I was thinking of coming up to preach, I just couldn't really think about anything. I was distracted, you know. And then you started singing. Whoa. Some, I just looked around halfway through the worship and I saw the look on some of your faces and you were lost in worship. Everything in my mindset in that moment changed as I saw Jesus Christ's body. You know, and I didn't come over and fondle your hands in your side because that would have been inappropriate. <laughs> and I may have lost my job. And with it, my house and my pension and various other things (laughs) alongside, and I can't afford to do that (laughs) with a family to feed. But you see, in a sense, I I was able to do that by watching you and witnessing you. You you were Christ's body for me this morning. This is it. This is a pathway to renewal. It's not just that we have his presence, his Holy Spirit with us. It's not just that we hear his words and we have scripture and encouragements of one another and birthday beats in the car park and all these other things, but we together are his body. And we can in a real way as we speak to each other, as we hug each other and hold each other, we can encourage each other in this most glorious faith. Christian community, his body given to us is a pathway to renewal. And so it's no surprise that the next thing we read is the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Overjoyed, overjoyed, renewal, renewal. That's what renewal is, overjoyed. They'd been oversorrowed and perhaps they still were. You know, you can be overjoyed and oversorrowed at the same time. But they were just in that sort of holy mess where they're weeping and they're laughing and all of it's just coming out and Jesus is there and it's okay. And so Jesus brings them joy. He renews them, but there's more to come. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. The same greeting. Had he forgotten he'd said it? No, my theory here is that the first time he said it, it was to to deal with with their fears. To sort of get them back to ground zero, to get them to the point where they could even listen to him. And he deals with that, he ministers to that, he gives them the ability to touch him, to feel him again, to hear him again. And then he says, no, 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 seriously, shalom aleichem. 
peace be upon you. The you there is plural. It's peace be upon you. And so in saying that, he speaks to his disciples, but he speaks to every one of, you, of us today. Peace be upon you all. Peace be upon you. This second blessing is for, it's not just a blessing to receive, to stay. It's a blessing to go. It isn't just a blessing for me. It's a blessing for them. It is a blessing to share. And so he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. What happened to Mary, an encounter which, lead, which led to her being the first apostle, the apostle to the apostles, what happened to Mary is about to happen to these disciples. As you, as I was sent, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. The verb there is apostello. I am sending apostle. And they're thinking, well, okay, I'm feeling better than I did 10 minutes ago. But I'm not ready to do what you did. I'm a little bit away from that. And, and so far, maybe you resonate with that. You know, I've enjoyed this sermon so far. But now it sort of comes to this, doing the things Jesus did, I'm feeling just a little bit tense again. Well, go back to the breath exercise I gave you at the beginning. (laughs) Well, that is actually the answer. Verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. The final pathway, the fourth pathway is his breath. It's your breath in our lungs. Sounds better when Neil does it. His breath. He breathed on them. The, the word is enephison. I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm saying it because that word is used in the old, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis 2 7. Listen to this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed and efficent into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. Jesus' breath on the disciples brings them to life. And the commission he gives it's possible to fulfill it because of that. This is the sense of what's happening in Ezekiel 37. You know that picture of the valley of dry bones? And God comes to Ezekiel and says, you prophesy that these dry bones come to life. And then the, the winds, the breath of God come from the four corners of the earth. And the breath bring the bones to life. It's a picture of renewal and it climaxes in the breath. David Ford says, the disciples received the spirit of the crucified and risen Jesus, infusing them with the reality of his life, death and resurrection, inspiring them to be sent as he was sent. You know, everything up to now was important. It was important that he was able to calm them with his presence, to speak his peace to them, to to bring their heart rates down. It was important that he did all that. It was important that they got to see the reality of his resurrection in his side and in his hands. And it was important too that they experienced all of that together. But this is a powerful moment here. And it's essential. 
He has to breathe on them. He has to breathe into them. Because without his breath, they can't do his work. Without his spirit, they can't be sent. They need a power in them which is not of them. Left to their own devices, they'll lock themselves in. In fear, trepidation. Reliving the trauma they'd experienced in the days before. But with his breath, they're able to do what he sent them out to do. And didn't they do it beautifully? It's his breath in our lungs. To a world that has lost its breath in a pandemic in which the primary sign of disease was the loss of breath. The Spirit of God is here to help his church catch our breath. No. Catch his breath. And as we catch his breath, we're sent out with a commission to share his breath. What did we think the renewal was for? It is the breath of Christ given so that we may experience the death and resurrection of Jesus as reality. It is the Holy Spirit which testifies with our spirits that we're children of God. It's the Holy Spirit which leads us into all the truth, who tells us, reminds us of the things that Jesus told his disciples even today. But it's the Holy Spirit as well who gives us this new commission. There is an apostolic moment for the church. And the renewal moment is an apostolic moment. It's a sending moment. It's a going moment. And as we catch our breath, you know this. Because as you catch your breath, you instinctively have to breathe out. Otherwise, you will choke on your own carbon dioxide. The renewal is not just so we can sort of pour out carbon dioxide in this room. It's that we can breathe out the breath of Jesus in the city, in the places where he sent us. That's what the renewal's for. Notice throughout every one of these building blocks the note of grace. How much did the disciples do to get them to the point of renewal? Absolutely zero. Jesus shows up. And he gives them everything they need. And today, church, I'm here to say that Jesus has given us everything we need to live out the lives that he has called us to live out today. Not to live out somebody else's life in your body. Because he hasn't called you to do that. But to live out the kingdom life he wants you to live out. He's given you everything he needs. And if you needed more, he would have given it. But in his presence, his words, his body and his breath, you have all you need. Why don't we stand as we respond? Maybe we could just focus 
to even bring attention to our breathing. just uh, believe that today Jesus wants to minister. Let me put it as it came into my mind. He wants to go after fear. He wants to go after fear. Now, the thing about fear is it tends to be holding hands with its friend, shame. And so, particularly if you're in a, a, a Christian environment... If you're afraid, you feel ashamed of it. And that shame is Satan's strategy to keep you in your fear. But that's a lie from hell that you need to uh, listen to the voice of shame. It says in Scripture, if, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is just a cleansing work that I think the Spirit of God wants to do. You know, the Spirit is breath, but the Spirit of God in Scripture is also water. I just believe that that work is upon us today. So while I'm going to pray for us, maybe hold out your hands as a sign of readiness to receive. In a minute, we'll call folks forward who particularly want to respond, and if the band could come and be ready. Father, we, we come today... Not just retelling this story, but actually hoping to relive it, to reenact it. And we confess, every one of us confesses, maybe some of us feel drawn to do that particularly, but every one of us confesses, Lord, the fear that we do feel. We don't pretend to understand ourselves, God. We don't, we don't, however much psychologizing we do, we're probably never going to get to the bottom of it. But you are the Lord of the grave. And so why can't you just do it for us? And my prayer today, God, is that you would do it for us, that you would liberate children from fear. Because that's what good parents do. They, if their children are afraid... They tell them a truer story, a bigger story. And you are that bigger story. You're that bigger truth. You are all truth. So God, whether you need to rewire neurons or, I don't know, I just ask that you do it. Holy Spirit, come. Renew minds, bodies, heal memories. And as far from east as from west, so far would you cast shame from among us. Well, we get together because we can't make it alone. We're not here because we're righteous. We're here because we are those who admit we need your righteousness.
So come, Holy Spirit. We confess the shame we feel. I confess the shame I feel. The desire I have, the desire we all have to hide. The word Jesus speaks to his disciples is receive. The word that's used in John's gospel 47 times. It's important. This means welcome him. As you're standing, breathing, just welcome him. Just welcome him. Just begin to allow him to push out these other things, these other scripts, these other stories, these other lies. This energy in your body. Observe that energy, that emotion. Just observe it. Don't stuff it down. Just watch it. Holy Spirit, move it out of our bodies. You come in.